Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome back, listeners, and Happy New Year. We are here for another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventures, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet. And maybe actually we're a little higher now because we've had so much snow here. <laughs> I am your co-host, Stacy, and with me is... Uh, your co-host, Christopher, and with us is... Our, Our producer, producer. Doug. Hey, Hi, Doug. Doug. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year, guys. How you doing? Happy <laughs> New Year. Thank you. I, th- I think we are a little higher depending on where you stand, right? If you're at the top of Mammoth Mountain, you're a couple hundred feet higher. Yeah, I don't know. Quite a, fit, quite a bit higher, right? Yeah. Well, the, feet. the mountain this to date this year has had almost 250 inches of snow <sighs> for this season. And we're only at... January 6th as we're recording this. So with more on the way. Yes, with a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope everyone has been safe in all of this snow and has a had a chance to enjoy it responsibly and had a warm place to go home and recover afterwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you have a nice New Year's, Christopher? We did. You know, we took um, the week between Christmas and New Year's off, which was kind of low key for us. And we had planned all sorts of outdoor stuff. And then the storm started coming. So we got, you know, got a little snowshoeing in up near Obsidian and, um, you know, some some outdoor places where we could kind of hike without it. Um, But, you know, even where I live down in Bishop, it was a lot of rain. So we ended up just spending yeah. a lot of time indoors. We're kind of forced indoors, but it was kind of for us, you know, it, we were lucky. It was kind of cozy, read a few books, catch up with family and friends. How about you? Yeah, the kind of the same. We actually headed out of town for a few days right after Christmas mm-hmm. and we're in San Diego for four days and came up right at the, like there was a little break on that Friday before New Year's in Mm -hmm. storms. And so we, we came back home then and then just hunkered down, (laughs) you know, during New Year's and had, you know, had an interesting New Year's Eve because, you know, we had just a very quiet evening going and then got a call from our daughter at one o'clock in the morning. Can she and her seven friends come over and spend the night because, um, they, the highway was closed and they couldn't, (laughs) (laughs) she'd been planning to go spend the night at a friend's house in Mammoth. She wasn't supposed to be back down in Crowley, but you know, as teenagers do, they, (laughs) and they had a safe place to go then. They did, and so that was that certainly livened up our evening, and <laughs> you know it was a lot of fun. Actually, <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned the highway closing because in the last couple of storms, I mean the high, highway three ninety five, which is our backbone, which is how mm-hmm. we get to work and how we go shopping and everywhere, and, and of course all the people coming up from the south to go skiing at Mammoth in June. Um, when the highway closes, it really disrupts. And yes, yesterday, as you know, many of us worked from home because the highway was closed. Yep. I was down in Bishop for the day. And so I went out for lunch because 
I could. Right. Um, and we walked into one of the restaurants down in Bishop, which was just crowded. And then just as we were about to order, like half the room got up and left. And it turns out the highway had just opened. And so mm, all these people yeah. who were waiting down there to go up the grade and hit the slopes, they just emptied out. And suddenly we had the place almost to ourselves. It was very funny. <laughs> it's kind of strange how that, that happens. That I, I mean, it's happened to me the other way where I'm trying to get home and I'm stuck in my office in town and, you know, I can't do anything. I just have to sit there until the highway opens. And, right. it, you know, it really is. I mean, and, you know, you both you and producer Doug have been around when we've had times where the highways closed in the middle of the day and we're stuck here overnight yep. and people are scrambling, staying at coworkers' houses and, oh, yeah. you know, in the office itself. And it's kind of crazy. It's part of life here for many of us, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you kind of know to expect it. And, but yeah, it was, um, it was, it's, it's a lot. I've spent, um, about three hours yesterday on various calls with the state department, mm -hmm. um, with the California state department and department of education and Cal OES, the emergency services, because these series of storms that are hitting us are so impactful, not just with snow in the Eastern Sierra, but devastating amounts of rain right. on the, in the coastal communities. So Absolutely. any of our listeners who are live on the coast in those areas that are at risk, please stay safe. And our thoughts are with you. Absolutely. Um, but to swing it back to what we do on this podcast, yes, <laughs> it gave us an, uh, those times gave us some time to, to do some quality reading. I mean, at least I know mm -hmm. I got some quality reading time in. Yes, I did too. It was kind of fun to have, you know, a, a really a whole week off. And, and it almost felt like an extra day off because New Year's was on a Sunday. And so the fun stuff shifts over to Monday when that happens in California, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the yeah. Rose Parade and everything else. So you kind of feel like, oh, I got two New Year's days. It was mm -hmm. <laughs> extra reading time in. Well, what did you read, Stace? So... I actually, I've, I got through two books, but um, I'll, the second one I'll mention very, very briefly. But sure. um, the, the first book I really enjoyed, it was called Lucky by Marissa Stapley. And this was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. Mm -hmm. Great. And I have found out I have actually read a lot of those picks unknowingly, <laughs> uh, but you have she, good picked, she, she picks good books. Yeah, she does. Um, and so this book was published in December 2021. So it's it's not terribly new, but mm -hmm. it was super fun. So yeah. um, Lucky is the name of the protagonist, the heroine of the story, if you will. And she is a kind of a grifter. Okay. She has been raised by her dad um, and raised to kind of work people and that's how they made their money you know they've kind of gone from place to place and her dad who's this really handsome man would you know find an unsuspecting very wealthy woman and you know get get that woman to marry him or support him and his daughter mm -hmm. and they would take whatever they could from this person and then they'd move on to the next and on and on and um, she eventually breaks off from her dad 
separates from him as she gets a little bit older. She meets um, this this boy or this man named Carrie, and she becomes um, involved with him. And he is also a con artist. <laughs> and they they go off. They leave California and. Um, go off on, on their own and have their own little, um, cons that they, uh-huh. that they do. But along the way, she spontaneously lucky spontaneously buys a lottery ticket worth like $390 million. Holy cannoli. And she plays her favorite numbers and lo and behold, she finds out that she is the only winner. Oh, wow. Of this lottery. Cool. So all her problems are solved, right? Right. But but no, they're not. Because if she goes and claims this ticket, she will be arrested. Because she and Carrie are <laughs> wanted right. for, um, for crimes they have committed. The curse of being a so, grifter. Exactly. So, you know, she has to struggle with what she, you know, what is she going to do or how she's going to make this happen somewhere along the line. There's an estranged mother that she thinks she wants to find. And Mm -hmm. the, the book kind of goes all over through lots of different States and kind of goes back and forth for a time, you know, to her childhood and gives the reader that context. But, Boy, this was so fun, so fun to read, and I, I it was quick. I really enjoyed it. it was well paced. It was good. Was it? Um, is it? Was it fun to read in kind of like an Elmore Leonard or kind of like fun caper kind of book, or does it have a dark undertone to it? I, I didn't feel like it had a dark undertone at all because I, I think all of the characters were so likable. Mm-hmm. You know, like I. If and I think this might be made into a movie or a series or something, I could easily see it being one of those kind of like those Knives Out mm-hmm. movies. If yeah. you've seen those recently, yeah, absolutely. Where they have they have this element of humor to yeah. them, yeah. And this kind of has that element to it. Like the characters are so they're so likable. Nothing is taken that seriously, right? And that's what I think makes it. Makes it so good. Really fun. And, you know, your heart kind of goes out to her, you know, that she's she's gotten saddled with this life that, you know, is not what, you know, you would want for anybody. Right. It, it does catch up with you. It, well, when you started talking about the plot, all I could think of was that Jim Thompson novel, which is one of my favorite novels of all time called The Grifters, mm-hmm. which a lot of people will recognize because it was made into a movie with movie, Angelica yeah. Houston and John Cusack and what's her name, um, where it was <laughs> kind of like the boyfriend, girlfriend, mother kind mm-hmm. of dynamic, right? But right. It, and there it was a little bit more tragic, you know, the, yes. the outcome. Yeah, I I didn't find this to be tragic at all. I I just thoroughly enjoyed it and look forward to time during the day to read it. And we had a lot of downtime, so that, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So this is, what was it called? Lucky? This is called Lucky by Marissa Stapley. Okay. And listeners, of course, we'll have all these on our show page and in our Instagram, so you don't have to write these down. And then really quickly, the yeah. other book, as I just finished, this is actually a reread for me that I okay. kind of did on the off 
just I saw it on Libby, which is one of our library mm-hmm. apps to download mm-hmm. books. And it was a book I read in back in middle school. It was called Flowers for Algernon. Oh, really? You read that? Daniel Keyes, yes. And so I read it again and I realized how much I did not remember about it. <laughs> <laughs> so really quickly, Flowers for Algernon is a mouse. Mm-hmm. The the main character in the um, in the book is Charlie Gordon. He is a, a mentally disabled man. He's been disabled his whole life, and he is chosen to take part in this experiment where they operate upon his brain, mm-hmm. and he goes from an IQ that's in the 60s or 70s mm-hmm. to over 180. Yeah. So um, it's just uh, it, it was um, just a really interesting kind of situation to think about. You know what? How how would that change somebody's life? And really shows how going from you know not really understanding when people he thinks everybody is nice to him, he thinks everybody is his friend mm-hmm. before the operation even though these people are kind of making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he still, he has kindness is his first and only motivation prior to this operation. And when he gains this intelligence, he starts gaining this, this other sense of how people really are. Right. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. <laughs> well, it's probably point. You know, it's interesting because that book I was just looking it up while you were talking. It came out in 1959, yeah. so it's been around a while. I yes. remember reading it in school, and I can't remember the context whether it was just a regular class assignment or whether it was mm-hmm. to, um, you know, address some of the the characteristics of the character itself. You know, I don't. There weren't yeah. a whole lot of books, novels out there about mental illness or anything like that. Or so it. What you're your description of it is actually making me want to go back and kind of look at it again. Cause I, it's one of those books where I was like, Oh yeah, I've read it. But if someone asked me about it, I wouldn't have been able to tell them. Yeah. That's- it, it was, there are so many layers to it that I could still see it, even though it was written a long time ago yeah. and things, it would be interesting to kind of do a rewrite of it now mm-hmm. when our, our sensibilities as a society around mentally disabled people is so different. Right. Um, that it would be interesting to see how that how it would resonate now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what I kept thinking about all the all these little scenes in the book that would never it wouldn't make it past the publishing desk. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, today, so but that you know was a different time, and but still at the heart of it, it's the you know it's the the character and how he how he changes in more ways than is thought was is going to happen and how the scientists treat him like a like he's not human. You right. know, they treat him like a, a a scientific subject. Right, right. And almost refer to him in that way. So, you know, that's just breaks your heart. Of course. Well, but, I'm curious. So you were scrolling through the Libby app mm-hmm. and this just jumped out at you or you're just like, oh, I ha- I, I should reread that. Or Yeah. Or- well, I had just finished Lucky okay. and I just returned it and I'm, so I need another book to read. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so 
I, I saw that and I thought, oh, I just wonder what, I wonder how much I remember of it. Right, right. Okay. And so, and I remembered it not being a very long book. Right. So, because I, the next book we're talking about is very long. You know, our next episode <laughs> yes. is very long, and I knew I had to get that started. So, I just wanted something super quick. Super, and, super quick. Well, that yeah. was a great choice. So, yeah. So that's Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes. So awesome, a really classic. Quick. Yeah. How about you? What did you read? Well, like you, I'll have a book that I'm going to talk about, and then you know, I read a few others, and the. I did, you know, the previous episode, we had our best of picks and I loved your list and I love Dave Leonard's list. And so I picked one from each portable magic I read, which Dave talked about. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to mention it here other than I loved it. And then I'm about halfway through Wahala, which was one of your picks, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. It's like my, it's like my palate cleanser when I'm reading other (laughs) stuff. I'm like, I go back to that because it's just kind of fun and, um, enjoyable. And I'm actually listening to it and the audio is really, really well, well done. Um, and then I just, you know, at one point, I think I mentioned to you, I, I lapsed into, uh, the first authorized biography of Elizabeth Taylor, which just came out, Yes, which is like, you know, of course, some of us who remember what a big person she was with Richard Burton and all that kind of stuff. Of course, everyone wants to read the gossip and the juicy stuff. And, Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't bad. It was just, it was an authorized biography. So, you know, the writer right. had access to stuff that other biographers hadn't, but the writer is also very careful about the subject. And so it doesn't come off as so juicy as some of the other <laughs> memoirs. It's a little disappointing, but you learn stuff. And she actually was a pretty powerful person. So so in, in an authorized biography, does the subject get, you know, the authority? the rights to say you can, you can't say that, or you can't, you can say this. Well, I'm not sure. I think that's probably negotiated with the estate. If the person's dead, which in this Mm -hmm. case, you know, the heirs or what have you, but typically what they get that other writers don't get until this comes out is access to certain papers and letters and people, which is what this author had an extensive conversations with former Senator John Warner, who she was married to famously back in the seventies. And, access to some of her papers, like, you know, around her work supporting AIDS advocacy, Mm -hmm. HIV AIDS awareness. And then like, I didn't really thoroughly realize this other than she had those commercials on TV. She was like a perfume, like billionaire. Like she was like a big, you know, and she was probably bigger for that than she was for her film career. So it's it's just, it's kind of interesting, but you know, if you're going in there looking for the Liz and Dick gossip and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, that's kind of played down a little bit, you know. I heard some. Oh, did you? I can share some. So, so this is very, very twisted. Um, <laughs> that show, the the White Lotus, which everybody is talking about. I love these that days. show. So, in this latest season, I guess you call it. Do you call it a season? I don't know. I Whatever. This, I don't know. This late, this latest round of White Lotus. They're in Italy, right? At this resort, right? And the resort is a real resort, right? It actually exists. And Elizabeth Burton and Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, sorry, mm-hmm. they stayed there and she, uh, through one of those vases, the rooms are really decorated. Like they show in yeah. the white Lotus. And so one of those big vases that are in the room, she threw at Richard Burton's head <laughs> during a fight that they had. That's, 
I was looking up the resort and that's what was on the page. So, Well, now I have a whole new respect for that show. No, I enjoyed the White Lotus. That's a whole other podcast conversation we can have. Da, yeah, we hilarious. have to. Yeah, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't respond because that's, it is. It's another. It, it is. So definitely. The, so the book that I'm actually going to talk about today, though, that I read over break is a completely different animal. It's very much more serious, a little bit more dark. Um, and it's actually a book I revisited. I started reading it over the summer when it came out, um, and then I had put it down because I wasn't ready to read it. And then this winter break, I was ready. And so what it is is Night of the Living Res, which is a collection of short stories by Morgan Talty. It came out in, in July of last year to really great reviews. Like it, It's just gotten everybody's attention. Um, and Talty, the author, this is his first book. And he's from the Penobscot tribe in Maine. Um, and he's part of this young generation of up-and-coming indigenous authors. Like, we've talked about Tommy Orange. There's mm-hmm. Therese Mayo, who wrote Heartberries. There's Tommy Pico, Natalie Diaz. A lot of um, writers of a new generation that are really kind of helping diversify um, the literature out there that's uh, indigenous. You know, there's... there's mm-hmm. Louise Erdrich and Joy Harjo and N. Scott Momaday, you know, they've been around for generations at this point. So this is kind of like a new, <laughs> not Gen X, maybe millennials, I guess, or I don't know, <laughs> coming up. But, and I will tell our listeners, they probably heard me say this before, I'm not really a short story collection reader. Um, right. Especially this kind, this is a collection of stories that are all kind of interconnected with the same characters. Um, and in the back of my mind, I'm always like, well, why not just turn it into a novel? Um, but this collection actually really packs a punch. It's really, really well done. And the themes are of like, um, it's kind of dark. So there's like drugs and abuse and just the daily struggle Mm -hmm. of rural life in Maine. And so Night of the Living Res is not necessarily a comfort read. It's it's sometimes difficult to read at times, but the writing is expert and so beautifully crafted. And the effect that after I put this book down, I was ruminating on what these stories meant to me. And, and the effect mm-hmm. that I came away with was just this importance of relationships. So the protagonist throughout each of these stories is David. He is, in, depending on the story, he's a son, a friend, a brother, an uncle. And each of these roles are incredibly important, regardless of the stage of life he's in or in the circumstances he finds himself in. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the very first story, just within a few short paragraphs, you're introduced to him. Um, the, they're written from his perspective to the characterization of life on the res that um, you you learn that David at this point in his life is a meth addict. He makes regular trips to a methadone clinic, um, and his best friend Fellas, who usually goes with him to the clinic, is passed out drunk in a snowy, icy ground. Um, and when David finds him, Fellas's hair is braided, is frozen into the ice, and so he oh. can't literally cannot sit up. He's like, "I need your help. Go get a bucket of hot water and unfreeze my hair." And David's like, "Well, that." the water would be frozen by the time I got back. Right. I have to get my knife and cut off your braid, which ends up happening. Um, and so the, the way it's written though, there's kind of like this kind of sardonic undertone. So it's both tragedy and comedy at uh-huh. the same time. And in fact, after he does it, David just makes this quip that, you know, I never thought I'd scalp a fellow tribal member, which is, <laughs> you know, um, just kind of gives you an idea of the humor that actually right. permeates this very, 
serious group of stories. And the stories themselves, they jump around in time. That was the first story. The next one is when David's a boy and he and his mom have just relocated to the reservation from the south. And out playing one day, he finds a jar filled with hair and teeth, which of any kid is going to be like, curious, what's this? And this is bizarre. Right. And it captures you as the reader. But um, what you learn is that it's a curse put on them by someone else in the tribe. So, um, you know, and that kind of sets up the tone that maybe this family is cursed throughout the rest of the stories. Um, but the so story, is, go ahead. I'm sorry. Is it, so is this, is it, did you get a sense this is autobiographical in nature? Like, are these stories based on experiences he's had or is it purely, are these fictional? Well, I think they're fictional. I've read a few interviews with him around this. Mm-hmm. And again, this is his first collection to be published. He's he's been he has a master in fine arts in writing and he's he's teaches writing. Um and what I get the sense is there may be some aspects of these stories that are autobiographical in nature, but probably more likely, and what comes through in the writing, is that he knew people like this. Yeah. Um, when he's writing about people he lived with, because there's an empathy that he he mm-hmm. offers to these characters that really, really comes through. And in fact, because he's writing from the point, the perspective of David through each of these stories, it's, it's very introspective. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, and aside from the humor, there's a lot of emotion. There's pro- provoking passages. There's brutality. There's the pathos and, and this kind of undercurrent of tragedy. But again, that those relationships are important enough to endure. And in fact, it all kind of culminates into this feeling of those relationships create a feeling of belonging, the tribalness that that culminates in the last story. And I won't give that away, but um, that's where that empathy comes out. Like, you know, like these things happen, but you're still part of a network of people um, if you can make it. And, And then that's actually one thing that, that resonated with me as well. Reading this, um, is, you know, the bleakness. I, I worked in a library in the east side of Manhattan for a couple years. There was a, around a bunch of hospitals and methadone clinics. And mm-hmm. a lot of meth users would come to the library as a public space after, before, after. Um, <laughs> sometimes to swap out their methadone for whatever else they wanted, which they would then go in the bathroom and shoot up or whatever, you know. Ooh. And these were regular people. And you got right. to know them as people. Yeah. And you got to really understand that they are they're not just doing a bad thing. They're struggling really mm-hmm. like there's emotional and psychological struggle that happens. And this kind of, I, the, this kind of feeling of being optimistic, but hopeless at the same time, you know, and right. how that can walk hand in hand. Um, and that comes across in this, this book. So even though this is set on a rural reservation in Maine, I, I kind of related to it from a very urban scenario. Um, in a city. And in fact, the, the collection has gotten a number of comparisons to the collection by Dennis Johnson called Jesus son, mm-hmm. which came out in the early nineties. It was really popular. Um, I think that was made into a movie. Um, and that's also because Dennis Johnson is like Talty, I think is considered like a writer's writer. Like it's very mm-hmm. literary and very well crafted, but there's a warmth that, that comes through. So the other thing that I'll say about this that I learned about Talty is that he specifically, he sets this in the Penobscot res. He's of that tribe himself. So there's a lot of that culture that comes through in the writing. Like he uses bits of the language, which was an oral language and it's only recently uh-huh. got an alphabet. Um, so he kind of phonetically writes out the words that he remembers using or uses with his family. Um, and then some of that culture comes through in the writing, you know, like the curse, mm-hmm. a jar of teeth is a curse. Um, right. 
but he does not intend this collection to be, and it doesn't come across as a snapshot of life on an Indian reservation. It's mm-hmm. it's a snapshot of a family dealing with some, you know, very serious issues, um, uh, you know, going through some serious stuff and it happens right. to be on an, an Indian, but you could, you could take these stories and almost and transport them, it, put them somewhere else. Exactly. And he's like, you know, those, those Penobscot, the native cultural points that come out in the story, he hasn't, he explicitly doesn't do anything to really explain them to the readers. Like, if you want to find out more about this, go do your research, you know? Uh, right. Um, because he, he he says he liked that when he was a reader of writers who would do that to him, you know, just it right. made him curious. Um, I think a lot of fans of Tommy Orange's There There, which was really popular over the last few years, mm-hmm. will see comparisons to the main characters here. They're they're young men struggling to navigate through personal and societal issues, um, but you know, Orange is more. Orange is there, there is a little bit more representative in the sense that right. it's around a powwow and there's a lot of culture that's brought out to kind of educate the reader about what's going on. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I'm doing justice to this collection because, again, I don't really talk about story collections all that much. But I will say it left me thinking, and I think a lot of readers will have that as well. Well, I think that the empathy of the characters that you mentioned comes across in how you're describing the book. Yeah. You know, so obviously there there's a lot there and the the richness of the characters yeah. um is palpable. Yeah, I mean they're they're very rich and very well drawn despite living in a very kind of the way he presents a very bleak kind of location. Um right. So, yeah, but this is Night of the Living Res. These are stories by Morgan Talty. Um came out last July. It's It'll really be good. interesting to see what he does next. Exactly. That's always what I yeah. think right after a first novel. And I love reading first novels. And Tommy Orange is coming out with his second novel sometime this year, supposedly. So, And is that going to be a novel or is that going to be short stories too? Well, I think it's supposed to be a follow-up to There There. Okay. So it, it may just be a novel, but I, I'm okay. not sure yet. I will. We will read it and we, let you know. We will wait for it with... Baited breath. <laughs> so some fun stuff that we talked about on our break and then some more serious stuff that we read. Um, and we hope that all you listeners that you read a mix of things as well. It's it, palate cleansers are as important as the heavy literary stuff, right? Stace. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can't get through the day. And then, <laughs> and the next book we have slated to read for the podcast is an absolute doorstop, but we'll wait for that. Too. Yes, just <laughs> hang in, hang in for another couple of weeks, <laughs> and and when we come back, we will have a guest next time. But the yeah. storm kind of threw us. <laughs> yeah, storm threw a lot of a lot of our guests are out shoveling snow. Is what we really want to <laughs> say. Um, so yeah, thank you, listeners. Welcome to 2023. We're hope if you're in California on the West Coast, we hope you are safe and yes. warm yes. and um, that and dry you, and dry. <laughs> Exactly. And uh, yeah, we have lined up some pretty interesting books and guests coming up. So uh, we look forward to welcoming you back on newer episodes coming up. In the meantime, you can find us at oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. I'll list all of our episodes and the links to the books. You can follow us at O2Starved, our Instagram and our Facebook handle. And we love hearing from you. So if there are books that you want us to read or at least recommend for us to read in 2023, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. 
the meantime, stay safe, stay warm, and happy winter. See you soon. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.